You're listening to How I Sell, a podcast built for early career sales professionals. You'll hear stories, best practices, and guidance from top sales leaders on what it takes to become a sales superstar. Today's episode is made possible by Ramped Careers. Ramped is on a mission to build the next generation of workforce-ready talent. Joining us today is Kyle Parrish, VP of Sales at Mixmax. Kyle has held senior sales leadership roles at companies big and small, including TripActions, Showpad, Google, and Oracle. Thank you so much, Kyle, for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good to be here. We've had five minutes to kind of catch up before before we uh, hit the record button here. But for those that don't know who you are, who is Kyle Parrish? Oh, man, existential question to start. I love it. I, I think probably just like most of your audience, I fell into sales. I wasn't a born salesperson. Nobody like pushed me into sales from the beginning of my career. Actually, in college, I started out as a broadcast major, a communication major. And I saw a bunch of my fraternity brothers and friends from the water polo team in college go into careers in sales and they had personalities similar to mine. And I thought that that's what I wanted to do. And so, uh, you know, I wasn't always a salesperson, but I felt like when I got into sales, that's what I really loved to do. I love the, the competition and the thrill of the win and love talking to other people. And so it felt like a good fit. Communication also felt like a good fit for somewhat similar reasons, but that's really who I am. I can't see myself doing anything different now, but I didn't have dreams of being a salesperson when I was five or six or seven years old. I didn't have the paper route that I was an entrepreneur or anything like that. But once I got into sales, I felt like it really fit my personality. And now when people meet me, uh, they can guess that I'm in sales. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, it, you know, there's just a, a comfort in talking to people that, that really comes with a customer-facing position like sales where you're just used to having new conversations. So I know I took that question kind of in a different direction. but That makes sense. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned, mentioned that early on you had some experience with uh, a couple of folks that maybe went to school with you, your, your fraternity brothers, maybe it's folks on your, and I know you were a college athlete in the water polo team. And, and you said that you, you felt like you had the personality for, for sales. Uh, so two questions for you. One is, what is that personality, right? And, and you've kind of been in a place where you, you've seen a lot of other sales folks. Um, do you think that there are characteristics, attributes, personalities uh, that you can kind of group and bucket? Uh, what's, what's kind of your thinking along, along those lines? Yeah. Uh, and I, I will, I'll start with, it's not the same for everybody, obviously, but I think that there's a couple of characteristics in sales that really help you. Uh, and I, I'll call it um, thick skin, but, you know, not taking rejection personally, things like that. Uh, and being able to talk to people comfortably and being comfortable in your own skin and, and having a one-to-one human connection and feeling confident in doing that. I think that's, that's huge in sales. Yeah. Uh, the most effective and successful salespeople that I've ever seen are authentic. They're not salesy, right? When you pick up the phone and somebody's calling you that's trying to sell you something, guards go up immediately. And so having that human connection and being able to talk comfortably with somebody and build, you know, a lot of people call it rapport building, but it's just setting a level of comfort where somebody feels like they're talking to another human. That's an important 
aspect of being a successful salesperson and being confident in doing that without trying to sell somebody right out of the gate. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that you said that a lot of folks that we've spoken with have developed this over time, but I want to take you back to maybe your earlier days. Did you have those characteristics right out the gate, right, you know, upon graduating college or, or what were you like, or who were you like back then? No way did I, this was a learned trait for me. And if I could go back and, and do things differently, I certainly would. I think young people have this chip on their shoulder about being young and calling into decision makers that are older than them. When I pick up the phone and people try to sell into me, I don't know how old they are. I have no expectation of who they are, how experienced they are, how good they are at their job. I can only tell what they tell me on the phone and how they carry themselves and the tone in their voice. And with so much done over the phone these days uh, and, and now Zoom, that's super important to have that confidence I didn't have it back then. I always had that. Um, I better be, you know, very good and right to the point and sharp and on message, which isn't to say that you pick up the phone on a cold call and ask somebody, how are you? That's not what you want to do on a cold call. You want to kind of like get to the point so that people know why you're calling. Cause again, their, their guard goes up when they think they're being sold, but uh, it certainly is a learned, learned trait. And over the years, I've just become more comfortable with this is another person that I'm talking to, not the CEO of some company, right? First and foremost, they're a person. Yes, they're a business person. Yes, they've got a job to do. Yes, they're responsible and probably very busy. And I should respect all those things. But at the core of it, like I shouldn't be scared of this person. They're just another person. And what's the worst they can say? No and hang up on me? Yeah. Okay, cool. I'll move on. That's that's right. That's right. That's uh, that's something we train all of our our fellows to on right away. Is the the worst that you're going to hear is no, and it is it is difficult, right? It's difficult for somebody going through their day to day, and they typically hear yes in college or yes, I can help, and then shifting gears to just hearing no, ninety five percent of the time or, or sometimes more. How did you get over that initial trepidation and transition into the sales career, uh, or, or get used to that? Uh, instant reaction of folks just saying no to you all the time. It's tough. I will not sugarcoat it. Uh, even the person with the thickest skin still, um, it's difficult to hear no 95% of the time. And I think about it in, in two ways. One, there is a big pool of candidates out there. And just because a couple of people are telling you no, you don't need everybody to say yes. You only need a few people to say yes. And hopefully with every call that you make, you learn something, right? Even if they just hang up on you immediately, you learned that that person isn't worth calling back maybe. Uh, so hopefully you get a little bit better with each time you do this. But um, the, the second thing I'll say about that is that hearing no isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? It just might be no, not right now. And so to try to turn it into something that is positive, I'll give you an example, right? You know, I'm, I'm not interested and just trying to turn it into, well, is there a time when you would be interested in taking a call? Or is there somebody else in the organization that might be interested? And oftentimes you'll hear no again, but you might as well try. And maybe there is. Oh, I only said, no, I'm not interested because I'm not the right person, right? You're calling into the director of accounting and it's really the director of finance that you want to talk to or something like that without going too, too deep into it, right? Like on a cold call, you don't want to um, try to ask for five different people to, to get introduced to and keep the person on the phone because then you're annoying them and you want to be respectful too. Uh, but at the same time, don't give up so easily and, and don't take the initial no, A, personally, because it's, it's not personal, uh, unless you did something personal, which I don't expect most people do on cold calls. I want to hone in on, on a couple of things that you mentioned. One is 
you know, this, this idea of, of, of not giving up. The second is the, the notion of being competitive. And then the third thing is, 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 is incremental improvements, right? Uh, you keep making progress. I wonder, did your background as a college athlete uh, have something or many things to, to do with why you kind of have that frame of reference? I'd like to kind of dive into that a little more. And then this, the second question is, how did you land your first job? Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I've got great answers for both of those things. And, and maybe how I landed my second job was probably the better answer, but I'll, I'll tell you both. Uh, the first question, the answer is absolutely. And being a college athlete doesn't start with being a college athlete. Nobody just walks onto the team having never played that sport before. So the, the competitiveness and the drive and the determination and the work ethic and all those things come far before college athletics. Although college athletics is the, the highest level I've played, but not obviously not the highest level. Uh, it, it, it does matter, right? The, the dedication and the focus and the singular idea of what you want to be that, that actually matters. And that carries through to the rest of your life, right? It was such a big part of my upbringing. I, I was playing um, soccer at, at age three and water polo uh, a, a little later in life, uh, just because it wasn't as popular of a sport at the time. But, um, you know, th those things do actually matter and, uh, and they do carry through to the rest of your life. It's not that I think about sales as a zero sum game, though, because it's not there. The competition is that I want to feel like I am doing the best that I can and putting in the best effort. And I want to win, of course. Uh, competitiveness doesn't mean that I'm beating out competitors or that I'm negotiating better than the customer. I am looking for win-wins and we can both win because if I like to win, I assume the other person on the other side of the negotiation wants to win as well. And so let's find a way to do that. Um, one of, we can talk about sales tactics later, but I'll just mention one of my favorite sales tactics in the entire world, and it's very simple, is yes and. I will tell any customer yes. They ask me for something, I say yes. And here are my conditions under which you get that discount or term or whatever, anything it is. Yes, and here's how we do that. So you give me something and I'll give you something. The give-get is, uh, is, is critical for sales. So in those first early years, we kind of mentioned it briefly, but you had some big name companies uh, that you, you made stops at. I think Oracle, then Salesforce, then back to Oracle. Um, how were those first years? Uh, what did you find difficult? What did you find easy? Were there memories that stand out from those stops along the way? And, and, Absolutely. and, and how did yeah. you kind of land those jobs? Yeah. Like first yeah, and second yeah. jobs? Uh, <clears throat> yeah. So uh, my, my first job actually was, was uh, for a couple of years at a very small company. Uh, it, it wasn't a startup. The business had been in business for 12 years already. And uh, I came out of college in one of the worst economic downturns uh, that we've seen in recent years, the, the year 2001. Uh, and I was just lucky to, to have a job. Um, I actually had three job offers, which I was shocked about um, because I had no experience. I played water polo all throughout college, so I didn't have, uh, you know, study abroad experience because that was during water polo season. I didn't have summer internships because I was, I was training for water polo during the summer. And so I didn't have much experience to speak of, so I was just very happy to have a job. And when I finally took one, it was essentially as a sales associate, right? Just learning the uh, uh, the ins and outs of the company, what it means to be in sales, how to deliver a proposal, how to talk to a customer on the phone, how to respond to an inquiry, things like that. And I was lucky to have great mentors 
Um, so that's not that interesting. The only interesting part is I was just very lucky to have a job and I took whatever I could get. I won't tell you what I made the first year out of college because it's absolutely ridiculous now looking at college kids who come out and, and what they make. Um, I'm happy for them, but uh, that wasn't me. Uh, my second job was, was at Oracle as an inside sales rep, and, and that might be a more interesting story. And I, in, I interview well. I'll, I'll pat myself on the shoulder for that. Um, I'm comfortable talking to people. And during this interview, they were asking me questions about Oracle and the technology. And I wasn't a database administrator. I have no reason to know anything about the technology. And it was just a test to see what I would do. And I answered the question with something that I still remember to this day. I, I probably won't say it verbatim, but um, I said to the interviewer who ended up being my hiring manager that I'm not here to tell you what I know about your technology. I'm here to sell you on the fact that I'm a good salesperson and can learn this technology and help your team improve. And that was it. I, I saw a change in the, uh, in the interview. After that, it was, oh man, uh, Kenyon Aarons was the, was the hiring manager's name. I still remember that. Um, I don't keep in touch with him, but remember his name. Uh, and and I, I'm pretty sure, I never asked him, but I'm pretty sure that I attribute that answer to the reason that I got a shot, which I was admittedly probably unqualified for because I hadn't been an inside technology uh, software sales rep in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, and he took a chance on me and it worked. I was promoted in, in 18 months from sales rep to sales manager and then in another nine months to a senior sales manager, and then in another 12 months. So I had uh, quite a few promotions, all in inside sales uh, at Oracle Direct during those years, which was a phenomenal experience for me. Um, and then to answer Danny's question, the, the things that I learned were, were dramatic, right? I was not necessarily prepared for being a software sales rep, and thank goodness that Oracle Direct and Oracle has such a commitment to training their people not just on the technology, but on sales process and, and really driving and making sure that there's adherence to their sales process and, and that people understand why they're doing what they're doing. And then that's where I learned, you know, I cut my teeth on high activity, right? 50 calls a day and they didn't track emails at the time, but um, you were expected to, to prospect into your customer base. Mm. And I had, when I was a sales rep, I had five accounts. They were all strategic accounts with a lot of subsidiaries, but five accounts. Uh, and they were the likes of Time Warner, Bank of New York, uh, Goldman Sachs. And so these were East Coast strategic accounts. So I was in the office at 6am making phone calls. And uh, that's where, where I really learned the work ethic that is uh, necessary in order to be successful. And then in, in the later years, I, I stayed with strategic accounts my entire first five years at, at Oracle. Um, and where I really learned how to manage my time and about motivation and dedication was when I started my MBA and I was still working. So I was waking up at 5 a.m. to be at work at 6 a.m. And then I was leaving work at you know 4 p.m. to be at school at 5 p.m. until 8.30 or 9 p.m. And just doing that on a pretty consistent basis. Nice. This is great. Uh, tons of tidbits here that our audience could certainly learn from. I think the one that stands out is the structure and organizational skills that you had, even at a very, very early age um, in, in your career, beginning of your career. Uh, and then the the little bit of Challenger Sales 101, which you used in your interview, if you even if you didn't know it, or you, you kind of flipped the script on on your interviewer, I'm sure they were like, whoa, you know, this, this guy's got something. Um, so, so, so that's really great. Uh, you, you mentioned you had um, mentors along the way. Um, 
you know, who, who, are, who are some of the folks that guided you and how did they guide you? Yeah, uh, guys I still talk to today. Uh, one gentleman by the name of David Baga, he's been a friend and a mentor. He's, the, he's one of the people who gave me my shot as a manager uh, at Oracle in the early days. And I'll attribute a few things to my eventual success into being head of sales, which at the time when I was 22, 23 years old, I was aspirational as, as all get out. And I wanted to be head of sales eventually. Um, I just didn't know how to get there. I didn't know what the path was to get there. And I didn't know what my path was going to be at all. And so there are a couple people that really helped me get there. James Wolfen tested at Oracle. He's now LinkedIn. Um, David Baga is now in um, the venture capital at, at Lightspeed. Um, and these are guys that I, that I still um, talk to and David and, and would talk to and James uh, and, and really gave me my shot. The, the things that they mentored me on were, I had no idea how to be a manager. And so I was this sponge on, uh, I know what good salesmanship looks like. I know what good motivation and drive looks like, but how, how do you instill drive into somebody else? How do you motivate somebody else? And so these were things that, you know, I'll go back to being a water polo player as team captain and things like that. So there is some motivation aspect to that, but that's really a team sport and sales can feel like an individual sport at times. So um, th those were a lot of the skills that I really needed to build up uh, from a management perspective, from a sales perspective. I also was not fully baked still am not fully baked, even though I'm teaching other people how to be salespeople now, which feels a little bit like an imposter syndrome, but I, I know that I have confidence in my sales skills, so I feel good about teaching other people those skills too. The, the mentorship, I think, is super important for longevity. Somebody who really knows you, knows your strengths and weaknesses, knows your fears and motivations, knows all these things about you, and can help from an outside perspective give you some perspective on your career and, and your uh, path forward and all those things. You know, it, it sounds like, you know, you had access to people that were seasoned, that took an interest in, um, in mentoring you and you took full advantage of it. And I think that's something that a lot of folks that are early on in their, in their sales careers or quite honestly, any career doesn't they don't really know how to do it. It's not quite taught in, in, in college. Um, if you have a, a family member that maybe has navigated through these waters, they'll teach you, but there's really not much out there. Uh, Cause I do think it's a two way street. One, you know, people may show some interest in you because of the kindness of their heart, but then what you do from there on is a little bit up to you. Uh, what are some things that you did right to, you know, truly take advantage of someone's generosity, uh, also giving back in the process, but making the best out of it. Like what advice do you have for folks um, that are looking to A, find mentors, but two, when they do find it, making the absolute best use of someone else's, you know, time and, and generosity? Yeah, really difficult question to ask. Uh, it's such a poignant question because being a mentee often feels like a one-way street. And uh, you, I think you would be lucky to find somebody who really does take an interest in you personally and is willing to give their most precious resource, which is their time to you to help you improve. And so, uh, I, you know, I will come to some mentors that I've had. I, I feel lucky, very lucky that they have taken an interest in me, are kind-hearted people, are way smarter than me, are way more successful than me, and have been able to, to share those tidbits. I think if I could give some advice on this front, it would be 
um, find a way to try to give back. It doesn't have to be monetarily. It doesn't have to be anything like that. But you know, like make it make it so that it doesn't feel like a one-way street. I, either either because it's a friendship. Hopefully, it is a friendship. And and I find that the best mentors really know you personally as well, not just business mentors. Although those are important too. I don't want to minimize having somebody. Um, who is a business mentor. I, I, I don't have a perfect answer for that question, unfortunately. I can tell you from my perspective, it was through friendship. Uh, you know, his family and my family are friends. We have kids of the same age. And so that that helps. I wish I had a better answer for you. Um, I do believe, I, and I will say this, I do believe that great sales managers are mm -hmm. also mentors. If you've got a good sales manager who takes an interest in you and knows you and sees you every single day, and how you've progressed and, and where your weaknesses are, those can be mentors. You just have to ask them, uh, right? The, the sales manager, sales rep relationship can feel like a pretty standard operating procedure at times, but um, sometimes you can break out of that. It, really great sales managers will, will do this. Um, and this is something that I tell the managers that report to me. It would be great if you have a development plan for each of your people and that you use a one-on-one -on -one, once a month or even once a quarter most sales managers don't do this at all by the way uh, mm -hmm. and so if you're a sales rep ask them to to do this or if you're an sdr or, or anybody in sales ask them to do this build a development plan with them the things that you think that you're good at that you want to continue to invest in and that you can teach others that's a key point if you can teach others what you're good at that's super helpful and uh, where you want to improve what are your career aspirations and goals and how can they help you get there? And um, the dirty little secret here is not dirty. The little secret here is that uh, if you are getting better along some of these things, helping your career aspire to what you want to be, it's helping them too because their success is shared with, your, with yours. I say this as a sales manager all the time that I don't close deals. I empower and help and remove obstacles for others to close deals. My success is inextricably tied to theirs. So the better that I can make them, the better it helps. I guess yeah. that is kind of the dirty little secret. <laughs> you, you seem to have you seem to have nailed that. Uh, and thanks, you know, I, th I thought that answer was great uh, all, all the way through. And something that our folks, um, our fellows, our audience does need to hear is how to find folks that are willing to mentor and how you could yourself become a mentor right off the bat. You don't even know it. What advice do you have now looking back at your career and the folks that you've worked with, both from a mentor standpoint and maybe the folks that report to you at various stops along the way? What advice do you have for students or early career folks that are looking to get into sales? I'll, I'll, I'll say this uh, completely unfettered. Um, be prepared for a bumpy ride. I love to say to salespeople that when times are good, everyone wants to be in sales. And when times are bad, nobody wants to be in sales. There's going to be good times and there's going to be bad times. I'm sure that a lot of your Gen Z and millennial uh, fellows and followers are, are fans of Instagram and things like corporate bro and you know <laughs> um, sales humor and things like that. While, while those things are, are true in a lot of places, uh, you know, they, they talk a lot about the ups and downs, the highs and lows, the I made my number this month or this quarter and immediately I'm thinking about next quarter, right? There's no time to sit and enjoy it. You're always worried about what comes in the future. And so just expect that they're gonna be highs and lows and don't live and die on the hill of having a bad day or even a bad month or a, or a bad quarter. Everyone has a bad quarter. Uh, 
my advice here, and, and this does take maturity, right? And so this is hard to do when you're an SDR just out of college in your first quarter. You can't have a bad first quarter, by the way. Um, you, gotta, you gotta do everything you can to have a good, and you gotta be set up for success. But it's not what happened in that quarter that made it bad. It's what you do about it in the next quarter. Everyone's gonna have a bad quarter. How do you take the learnings and the mistakes that you've made and own up to those mistakes and say, this is how I'm gonna do better and be better in the future. Um, this is how I'm not going to repeat those same mistakes. If I made 50 calls a day and I only got one person to pick up, I, I gotta figure out a way to either increase my volume or increase my connect rate. Uh, and, and some of those things aren't super easy for young people who have never had to figure these things out for themselves to do. So ask for help for people from people who have been successful from your manager from other people uh, in other walks of life and just you know figure out a way to uh, always be improving one percent better every single day i think is a good aspirational target your your, your question was was more about advice to to young people and, and i said be prepared for a bumpy <laughs> ride which which is true there and there are going to be in longer terms of bumpiness than others and, and the maturity part is that there's going to be a next quarter and you're still going to be on the hook for quota the next quarter. And so celebrate the wins and be excited about the wins and, and don't uh, become jaded to winning. Always be happy about it uh, and try to minimize the losses or the downturns or the, you know, the, the tough parts and tough patches. Because being in sales your entire career is tough. And I have at times, especially during the 2008 to 2010 financial crisis, when I was an individual contributor at Salesforce, I have questioned whether or not I wanted to be in sales. Seriously questioned it. And I was getting my MBA at the time. And I, and I said to myself, well, I might come out of my, getting my MBA and switch careers completely. I thought about going back to, uh, to, to school to get my law degree, my JD MBA, uh, because it was such a tough time. But I'm glad I persevered. I'm glad that I thought about this as this is a blip and that I will get through this and I have confidence in myself that I can do it. And so, you know, think about the long term. Um, and if you truly love sales and if you truly want to be in sales, um, think about it as a career, not as a the next quarter in front of my face or the next month in front of my face. Don't lose sight of that. I'm not saying there's sales managers out there that are like, no, you got to make the number, uh, which is true. <laughs> Uh, but think about it as a long-term proposition. Very, very interesting. And we've all, at least, at least I have, long, along the way had moments in time where I'm like, oh man, this is, this is not the right path for me. Um, how did you kind of bring yourself back up and realize, yeah, this is the career that I set out for and I still want? What was that turning point or inflection point that drew you back into sales? Yeah, it dovetails exactly with what I just said, which was, uh, you know, I'd been at, uh, at Oracle for five years, all in inside sales positions, and I needed field sales experience. So instead of taking a field sales job at Oracle, which I was offered, I decided to go over to Salesforce, which was a younger, sexier company at the time. Uh, and Salesforce, their strategy is when they hire a new salesperson, they give them a completely brand new territory that they've just cut. And so I was selling into Eastern California, uh, accounts in uh, in the uh, you know higher end mid market they called it general business which was like a thousand to fifteen hundred employees and so I'm selling to dairies and farms and things like that they don't need CRM and so that's that was a, a rough part uh, 
of, of my career. Sorry, I forgot the question now, Danny. I was on a path, but. No, you, you're nailing it. You're nailing it. That's, <laughs> it sounds like it was, it was the, the question was, uh, you know, what, what drew you back into sales oh, and got yeah, you yeah. back on track? Yeah. Sorry. I hope your marketing people can edit this part out. Uh, <laughs> what, what really drew me back into sales and got me excited again was the prospect of going back to being a manager. When I look at myself and my strengths and weaknesses, I know that I'm a better manager than I am an individual contributor sales rep. And that's just something about me. There's a lot of people who are the exact opposite, right? They have been career individual contributors. They make great money. They are very happy. And that, that wasn't me. That wasn't my path. And so the prospect of getting back into a sales management role with, a, with a, an amazing opportunity back at Oracle, managing a worldwide sales team for MySQL, which had been acquired by Sun and then Sun got acquired by Oracle. They needed somebody with my specific skill set, And I attribute that getting that job as a huge stepping point in my career. Um, I won't say it was all luck uh, because my, my career and my, uh, my, my past spoke for itself, but I, I was lucky to have that position because it vaulted me into a, into a place where I managed a team of 125 people globally on three different continents. And I, I, I learned so much about distributed management. I learned so much about velocity sales in that role that had given me other opportunities to get other positions in the future. And so that's what really got me excited was the prospect of knowing that this is my path. I am a sales manager. That's what I'm really good at. That's what I want to do. That's what I get a lot of satisfaction out of. Yeah. Thank you for awesome. thank you for that, um, Colin. This is this has been this has been great. You've you've kept it very real. I, I don't think that um, there. Are, there are very many folks that will share advice so candidly. And I think a lot of folks that are looking for a career in sales need to know and understand that there's going to be ups and downs. There's other industries and other jobs where, you know, there's not as many downs. There's the ups may not be as high, but like the sales is just such a roller coaster. And unless you've been there, done that, you really don't know it. So thank you for, for demystifying that for, uh, for our audience. Uh, we'll ask our favorite question, um, which is, you know, you have the benefit of hindsight. Uh, you definitely have some success behind you, a lot of maturity. So with, with all of this, you know, with all of this new knowledge, if you could go back in time and meet a younger version of Kyle Parrish, maybe coming out of water polo practice, and you could only say one thing, uh, one piece of advice, what would that be? Go to startups sooner. This is a very personal thing for me. It's not for everybody. Some people will thrive and be very happy at large companies their entire life. There's a lot of safety and security and, and pride in working for a large public company. I have found that my path, I just absolutely love working for startups. I have the mentality and the acceptability that the path isn't always uh, a defined path. And so accept the fact that we don't have processes for everything, that sometimes you have to create a process for things. I absolutely love the feel and excitement of a startup. And what you do every single day matters, even as an individual contributor, right? I don't want to, to, uh, to minimize the role of sales at, at all, because I think it's super, super important as the revenue generating arm of the, of the company. And what you do as a salesperson every single day matters to the company because A, sales is expensive. Salespeople are expensive and they're well worth the money. Don't get me wrong there. Uh, but you bring in the revenue for the company and that's what the company thrives on. Without that, there is no company. And early stage startups, depending on how early you want to go, you know, closing a 10K deal 
is a big deal to a company with less than a million dollars in revenue. Uh, that just feels really good to me. It feels good to be part of that and part of the journey and see improvements every single day, right? The, the idea of getting better, getting 1% better every single day, you can see that as an entire company at a startup. At Oracle, getting better 1% every, getting 1% better every day is a more personal thing. It's am I improving 1% every day? But at a startup, you can actually see the improvement in the evolution. And the company that you join that's 45 people, like Mixmax is, is different than we were when I joined a couple of months ago. And we will be different in three months. And that to me is, I, I absolutely love it. I love that. Uh, so glad to hear that um, you share our enthusiasm for early stage companies. There's something to be said about uh, the achievement motivation that you get when you close uh, a deal that you simply can't find at a at a larger organization. So, um, so great piece of advice. I think that's the that's the first time we've heard that piece of advice. So, uh, we, the, the reason we love asking that question is you know diversity uh, diversity of thought. Uh, thank you, Carl. This has been this has been such a treat speaking to you. Uh, you've been incredibly generous with your time, and I'm sure um, our audience will very much appreciate uh, all of your insight and guidance here. Yeah, Thanks, no, Kyle. it was a lot of fun. If you can't tell, I love talking about this stuff. I'm very passionate about it, and it's exciting to me. And uh, you know, it's it's fun to be early in your career and, and not know what the future holds. It's nerve wracking, also. Uh, but you know, I, I envy that in uh, in your audience and, and your fellows. So, uh, best of luck to you guys. You know, keep at it. Amazing. We're gonna watch Xmax uh, succeed from the sidelines. You guys yes. are great. Thank Keep you. Crushing. I, I am uh, I'm I'm fully dedicated to making this a billion dollar company just uh, alongside our CEO. So as you guys know, when we get there, it won't be next year, but hopefully soon. Thank, thanks so much, Kyle. This has been great. Yeah, thank you. Have a good day, guys. Bye bye.